0: Looks like we're going to be hanging out inside for at least a little while longer. And with the colder months coming up fast, there's never been a more perfect time to stock up on all your comfy clothes. Lucky for you, you listen to the Choose Your Struggle podcast and I have a sweet deal for you today. Check out my sponsor, Pair of Thieves. They've got everything you need, from shorts to lounge pants to underwear and bras. They even have a line of Disney socks with all your favorite characters on it. But here's the best part. If you use the link in the show notes or on my podcast website and the discount code Rakuten Thieves, don't worry, that's in the show notes too, you'll get 20% off every full price item in your shopping cart. So stock up on all your comfy clothes today and help out the podcast in the process.
1: But I'm going
2: to just go ahead and invite Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it
0: up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Hey, y'all. I'm hard at work on season two, but in the meantime, you're getting a really special treat on the stream this week. What's following today is a special episode of the podcast Science the Show. Now, these guys start out as a live Twitch show, and they've been broadcasting the shows also as a podcast. So I definitely encourage all of you to go subscribe, check out the show notes for all of their information. Now, you have heard one of the hosts before. He's my brother, Alex Schiffman. And I was on his podcast, at least there's this earlier this year that went out. It's a special episode of this podcast as well. Now, Science the Show is pretty awesome. They combine science and comedy to make learning about science a lot of fun. This episode, I'm going to read you this synopsis because it's pretty cool. The show is called The Unseen Universe, and it says 95% of our universe is made of unseen dark matter and energy. Now, this may sound like the stuff of fantasy, but that figure is based on detailed and many times verified work of scientists over the past 100 years. So in this episode of Science the Show... They have NASA and JPL's Dr. Jason Rhodes talking about the unseen universe that we're all part of, but that's not all. They also have incredible actor-comedian Maria Bamford, whose comedy examines the unseen in our daily lives. Now, I love Maria. She was fantastic on Arrested Development. I think she's hilarious. This episode is a fantastic, fantastic episode. You're going to love it check this out. And when you're done, go subscribe, check them out on Twitch. I don't miss an episode of their live show. Real quick, before we get into it, though, I have to give a thank you to a platform that I've been loving called Guestio. Uh, it's an app. It's a it's a website, G-U-E-S-T-I-O. I'm using it to find some incredible guests for next season, but that's not all. I've already been found a couple of times by people who want me on their podcast. So if you've ever wanted to find out how you can get booked on podcasts, how you can find some guests, check out Guestio. They make it super easy. All right. Without further ado, enjoy the special episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. All right, so I know you've heard me talk about Mountain Made before, but today I want to tell you a little bit about their actual product system. The first is Build. Build is a 50 milligram CBD tablet that saturates your system. The second is Boost. Boost is a 10 milligram CBD chewable with electrolytes and it helps titrate your CBD levels throughout the day. The third is Recover. You take it at the end of the day and it's a 25 milligram CBD chewable with magnolia and helps maximize your rest and recovery. But here's the thing I don't just talk about it, I actually use it. Boost is my favorite. I take a couple throughout the day and it really leaves me feeling pretty great. So if you add that all together, that's 105 milligrams of CBD every day. And it's at an affordable price too all of those products are THC free and they ship nationwide. With three easy ways to pay, you can order your CBD today and become a part of the mountain made community just like that. So activate your lifestyle today and go like hell. But don't just take my word for it. With over 25 athletes, lifestyle enthusiasts, clinicians, physicians, all amazing people backing them. Their product lines are continuing to prove themselves as the real deal. So you can find out more at www.mountainmade.life or check them out on social media at MNT Made. All right, back to the episode.
1: I'm Alex. I'm one of the hosts. Science the Show is normally a live show based out of L.A., and we mix comedy and science together to give our audience an evening of laughter and learning. But since the beginning of the pandemic, we switched to fully live stream, and now we've decided to pull those live stream clips and release them as a podcast, too. Real quick primer on how the show works, and then we'll get started. We start the show with just the three hosts. That's myself, our science producer, Dr. Russell Cohen-Hoffing, and our comedy producer, Dylan Farr. Russell teaches us all about the theme of the show through his perspective as a cognitive scientist, and Dylan and I make it harder for him by making jokes. We invite a comedian on to join us in for the fun, and then, when we're all good and ready, our special science guest joins us to chat with us about the reason we're all here. This episode today is called The Unseen Universe, and it's about dark matter and all the things we can't see when we look out into the night sky. Russell's going to kick us off by talking about the unseen in a cognitive perspective. He'll be talking about all the biases our brain uses to try to make quick decisions in the world that don't necessarily represent the world as it is. We'll then be joined by comedian Maria Banford, one of my personal favorites. And finally, we'll be joined by Dr. Jason Rhodes from JPL, who's going to talk about the dark universe, that's dark matter and dark energy, and how they make our universe work.
2: You know, when I think of something like the unseen universe where my mind immediately goes how our experience of the world is created by our brain, right? And part of what my job is as a cognitive scientist is to try to understand how our, how our brain creates our experience because our brains were never made to understand itself at all. It's just not set up in any way to do that. I'm gonna show you guys an illusion to try and pull back this veil on how we actually experience uh, the world. So let me ask you guys. You can see my shirt, right? Yeah. Um, Dylan, what color is this? Wait, is the uh... illusion of
1: not wearing a shirt?
3: <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. No, it's a uh, teal, right? Right? Is okay. that teal?
1: A- Alex, what color is my shirt? A little green, like a maybe. I don't know. Seafoam? Is that teal? Something?
2: But the real twist is that I'm wearing nothing underneath my shirt. Um, <laughs> okay, so you guys clearly can you see color, and you both agree on the color that you see in the world. So can you see these two blocks? Yes. All right. So you see my mouse. What? Uh, yeah. What color is this? Uh, uh, white. My, or, like white
3: gray, not white, light gray.
2: White <laughs> and white. this
3: one. Uh, dark gray. Dark okay.
1: Gray. Good. And, and,
2: What about this?
1: Uh, Like a light granite?
2: Uh, Dark gray. That was dark gray. This one? Uh, That is white white. white, gray. Okay. And then this one? Uh, Dark gray. All right. And and this one? That's also gray. All right. Yeah. Okay. So we clearly see a difference between this block and this block right here, right? Right. Okay. Now, all I'm going to do is just move this little purple bar. no way. I hate it so much. I hate it so, so much. (laughs) So so I assume what you're seeing, right, is that these two colors are now gray, and this one is now dark gray, and this one is white. Like, almost black, right? This is devil magic. Literally, I'll I'll go back. I'll go back. Oh, my god.
3: Brains are so bad. They're just, like, not good. So why this, did you
1: need to learn about this? Why did you need to tell tell me how awful my brain is? So
2: it's not, this is not an awful part of your brain, it's a feature. And, and it reveals something about how our visual system actually works. Part of the point is why I'm showing this is that, you know, we think that we, you know, see reality, right? We think we see the colors that we see, but what this is kind of showing is that what we see is only what the human uh brain allows us to see the the reason why we see this because it's baked into our biology right literally how our visual system is set up
1: is there a reason for that
2: for this specific one um it's it, it allows us to see uh color in a very dynamic way so this is all based on contrast is that our, our, we don't really see color in absolute values, we see color in relation to other colors. And that allows us to, you know, it's adaptive vision, it allows us to see in a wide variety of dynamics and contexts. Like part of the, one way to, to maybe explain this is, you know, this allows us to see things not like a camera sees. You know, like our, our brain can adapt to a huge variety of, of contexts because we actually see you know, in contrast, in colors in relation to other colors versus in some absolute like photo-centric kind of way. But, but the, the point that I'm, I want to make is that, you know, this is just a perceptual illusion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where I want to get to is uh, just like how our biology can influence how our mind experiences reality, it's also our thoughts can also influence how we experience reality. So just like I showed you a
1: visual, I paid a lot of very um, calm yoga teachers to tell me exactly.
2: (laughs) Well, now you're just getting it for free from a scientist, (laughs) so you know it's true. So just like I showed you a visual illusion, I want to go through some cognitive illusions to demonstrate. But so to illustrate this, Alex, can we go ahead and bring our comedian um, onto the show to answer some questions?
1: Yeah, guys. (laughs) We are about to bring on our comedy guest. So the way that this is gonna work, we're just gonna add a new person to our show uh, to to play with us in this space. This is somebody who I'm so excited we've had on. Uh, she's one of my favorite comedians since I was a teen boy. So well, please don't clap because clapping sounds terrible in the stream, but give us like a fake clap for Maria Bamford.
3: Well, we wouldn't be able to hear them clap. You know what? It doesn't matter. I appreciate the gesture. Ah, she's on.
4: Oh, it's a, it's a visual. Is this a penis? Is that a penis? That's a visual.
3: Anyways, trying to do
4: some zoom jokes, illusions. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, yes, this is a this is a, I love cognitive science. I'm a beneficiary of all of its or some of its uses.
3: No, I, I'm in the same boat. I, it's, it's great. Very good for my brain. It tries to self-destruct, and that's not good.
1: Yeah, me, me too. I think I would uh, be spending most of my time, like, repositioning my couch if I wasn't a beneficiary. <laughs> uh,
4: Have you ever done the exercise of what do you, what's the worst thing could happen, what's the best thing could happen, and what will probably happen? That's my favorite uh, exercise. Therapy. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, so it's like, oh, the worst thing that happened is that, yeah, I'll be put in solitary confinement in prison. best thing that <laughs> happen is I'll be able to fly with a bunch of unicorns. The thing that'll probably happen is that I'll be on this show. Uh,
1: that's, that's a great middle ground. I, yeah. It's nice to know we're in the middle for you. We're not as yes. bad as solitary confinement.
2: Right. <laughs> well, let's give you guys some more beneficialities to cognitive science. So... Uh, I wanna ask you guys a question, and, and it has to do with where where the the illusions that I wanna show you. And the question is, what is something that you do that always surprises others? Uh, yeah, I got a good answer for this. Oh, this is- uh, I, I sleep fully clothed,
3: like, I mean, like, so basically, like, uh, especially if I have something to do early in the morning, I'll, like, shower and switch to the outfit I plan to wear the next day, the night before, and I'll just go to sleep in that outfit. I and, totally
4: do that. I will wear shoes to bed. No,
3: yeah, I've done that, too. I've totally done that. How? Your clothes it, get and dirty. mean it depends on what you, like, what you need out of the clothes for tomorrow. Like, I mean, typically, <laughs> the environments I'm working in don't require, like, the most pristine Look, and, like, maybe if I have to put a button up on, that's, like, maybe I won't sleep in that, but I've, I mean, done that. It's, you really have to push
4: what? the
3: press code, like, breaking for people to bring it up. What that will is, you
2: not sleep in, Maria?
4: What will I not? Well, I sl- certainly will not sleep in a nude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, like, simple. Open to the elements. <laughs> uh, somebody might get me. Um, I, I wouldn't mind my dad and me uh end up sleeping up in my dad I do um, I have those um dreams where you, you start punching people so my dad sleeps in a sleep sack which is cinched at the top um where you can't get out um because I, I can start to, I start talking and trying to sock my husband in the head is like a Vietnam shit? vet but it's just because I had Diet Coke after five
1: <laughs> is it just the arms in the sleep sack or is it also the legs oh
4: yeah no it keeps your arms and your legs no, oh. no, you're in the sack. You're completely in-sacked.
1: <laughs> that sounds really nice,
2: actually. No, that sounds, so like, really so you're wearing clothes you in in the
1: sack?
4: I, I haven't graduated to that level yet. I'm saying uh, my father has a sleep uh, sack. It could be in my future.
1: Okay. Uh, okay, I think that you guys are both right out of line. I think that <laughs> that is something that that's like... The the best thing about getting home is that you don't have to wear clothes. No, you can the
3: best take- thing about being alive is wearing clothes. It's great. <laughs> it's like a really nice, not even nice clothes, just wearing clothes, going out makes me feel like a cartoon character. And there's like really <laughs> direct purpose in cartoons that I would like to emulate.
1: <laughs> that your this life so- don't you feel like wearing clothes means your life has meaning, has order at least. Yeah. Yeah,
4: and that you're gonna you have plans to go somewhere. Like I don't think oh it's all over. Once I lose consciousness.
1: Ah,
3: yeah. So wait, what's think- yours, Alex? Mister Normal. Oh, sorry, Maria. <laughs> Uh
1: My mine is that I'm just so normal. Um, <laughs> I I I I like cold food. Uh, I like I do not ever want my food warmed back up. If I have any leftovers from the night before from lunch, I never want you to put it in the microwave. Whenever I have like cold pizza, my girlfriend's like, "Let's just warm it up in the microwave." I'm like. Don't touch my pizza. <laughs> I mean, it's so much better when it's cold.
3: Okay, I will say microwave pizza is bad, but I think that is bad to just have... Warm food should be warm. That's the point. That's why you served it warm. You let it cool, and it's not the same food anymore. Alex,
4: I'm on your side. I think that flavors... Is what, are, what is going on? <laughs> no, I think flavors are more intense when they're chilled. I'm. I'm just... Yes.
1: Maria, thank you. Two two investors right now. Wow,
3: I did not see that coming at all, that
1: you would actually be on both sides. (laughs) Oh, my God. Both too polite to ask (laughs) the host to warm the food back up.
4: Oh, well, that too, but... (laughs) You also, yeah, you finish whatever you've been given. Oh, yes. It's good. They made it for you.
1: Yes. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, So, let me...
2: Let me ask you, you guys, um, oh, I guess, wait, was there something else for Maria? Yeah, did you, you already agreed with both of the surprising (laughs) things with them. Do you have Uh, another one?
4: Yeah, uh, I don't, I didn't mean to appropriate other people's, uh, things, I just, (laughs) I was just relating. Um, I gotta say, uh, I don't know. Uh, Well, my husband was, um, horrified at how, um, that I was messy. Um, cause he was that organized in other ways and very good at bookkeeping and, you know, um, and sort of keeping a job. And, um, but then he was like, oh no, like who's going to clean the house? Mm. Uh-oh, <laughs> not, um, think... not going to be me. So, so... That, the, 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 but it, that I'm messier. I don't really have a, a strong feeling. If I leave a scoop of peanut butter, half licked, Somewhere I say, I might want to lick that a little later today. Oh,
3: my God. That's awful. That's okay, so awful. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that so much.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, you got me. That sounds terrible. <laughs> so,
2: I can't answer that. You know, my- I,
4: I, I confuse this question with what disgusts others. <laughs> yeah.
2: Sorry. My follow-up question was, why does- Why does that- Why do you think that surprises people? <laughs>
4: <laughs> I don't know. Well- I think that women aren't supposed to be disgusting um, as a rule. Like you're supposed to, and I know what it is. To, my mom um, kept a very, uh, it was like living at the West End when I grew up. Everything was white. And um, so it's pr- partially a rebellion against that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's just, it's just surpri- You know, when you, well, it's like when you see a clutterer's house, you go, oh, but you, you have children. And then, <laughs> you know, like they've got yeah. stacks of what. Web- Telephone books up to the ceiling.
3: I have you been in a a hoarder's house before? I was in one once, and it was like it was with books, and it was like literally like mazes of books. It it was cool, but I'm like I don't I can't fathom living in this. Like it's beyond my comprehension as like a
4: person. That's cognitive science. how how to uh, get past that? If you're interested in getting past that, and sometimes no interest. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Getting rid of the books.
2: That does
1: actually, I think parallel into why we're talking about this in the first place, I would presume.
2: I mean, in terms of the the, the hoarding, or because, <laughs> or uh-huh. the question about Dylan, you know, response to like how he couldn't fathom how somebody could be, you exactly. know, could be like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that. So yeah, I, I think that's, that is kind of where I'm getting at actually. I think that's a really good way to sum it up is that people are surprised because they can't fathom that you would act in such a way. Partially because they don't act that way or not. So this is actually an illusion, you know, that is referred to as the false consensus illusion, where uh, people overemphasize their own experience or their own beliefs and uh, think that because they have them that other people have them too. So it, it is surprising that, you know, if you only like to eat hot food that you find somebody who has cold food that you just It doesn't make any sense. You can't even contemplate why somebody would do such a thing. But wait, isn't that like
3: like the whole point of empathy is that you can contemplate that and like understand it? I mean, obviously I'm exhibiting an exaggerated form of reaction here, but also like, isn't that, I don't know, I I interrupted you, but I assume maybe you were getting to something about that.
2: Let's put a pin in that, um, in that point. But yes, so so part of these illusions that I, I think is hard about them is that they're baked into our systems right and so are there ways to overcome these kinds of illusions so let's let's put a pin on that and come uh come back to it so i, I want to go on to the next illusion um that i want to talk about all right so the way that um this one works is all right dylan <clears throat> this is an activity for you and uh maria and alex here also in this and also audience so Dylan, I want you to think of a song that everybody knows, a super simple song like a nursery rhyme or a kid song. Oh, um, wait, something with the, Can I think the, of like a pop song that people would know? No, or? no, no, no. Something simple with the very simple rhythm, just a very, yeah. uh, a very very simple rhythm. Because okay. I'm gonna ask you to clap the rhythm for us in a minute. Okay. Uh, okay. 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 Think about it. Let me know when you have it <laughs> oh, in, your, in feeling, your head. Oh, what a
4: feeling! Dancing <laughs> on the ceiling.
3: I don't know that song. (laughs) I
4: didn't sing it well enough. Finally, she danced on the ceiling, sorry.
3: Um, Oh, nice. Uh,
2: So I am gonna clap it right now. I have a song. Not yet, don't clap it yet. Do you have the song in your head? Yeah. You do, okay. All right, so um, I want you to hum the tune in your head and then you're gonna clap the rhythm. And you're not gonna sing it or hum it, you're just gonna clap the rhythm and hum it in your head. And then Alex and Maria, I'm gonna ask you guys to guess what he clapped. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So, so, Audience but, but, but yeah. And so, don't, uh, don't answer yet, Alex and and Maria. Okay. Um, don't answer yet, but just think about what what you think, think it is. All right. This so is Dylan, I feel so bad. I'm the guy that's like, oh,
3: do you know that song?
2: And I'm like, bah, 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 bah,
3: and no one's like, no, I don't know that song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Dylan, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. All right. Go. I can't do it. <laughs> Shit, I actually don't know the rest of the two. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All
2: right, that's fine. That's fine. That's oh, I just...
4: know
2: that. So, know <laughs> wait, don't guess yet. So, Dylan, uh-huh. let me just ask you: um, how, just like, how confident are you that you think Maria and Alex could? could guess what you have. Like, give me a percentage-wise. I'm going to give that a 50-50, because I forgot the end of the song,
3: which I've done before, uh, which might be a sign of some sort of brain tumor or something, but we can get into okay. that later.
2: <laughs> so 50-50, so 50% chance. So you guys, mm-hmm. this is, you know, you basically have a one in two chance uh, to guess this. All right. Alex and Rhea, how confident are you guys that you're going to be able to guess this?
4: Uh, 20%. I'm going to go all in, all my, all my chips.
2: Hell yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. All
2: right. Um, audience and Alex and Maria, what is let's, let's we can start with Alex. Like Alex, what do you think that song was?
1: I think it's three blind mice.
2: No. That <laughs> is, how does that song even go? <laughs>
1: three, three blind mice. Three blind mice. They are blind. They're blind mice.
3: These mice okay, are blind. Yeah, I, Okay, yeah, okay, I got it.
2: <laughs> Maria, what do you think that song was?
4: I think it's this old man.
2: No.
3: <laughs> no. It was the alphabet song, like A, B, C, D. D, D. Oh, but as I was clapping it, I was like, oh, it's the same fucking rhythm for half wait, the wait. alphabet." You don't know the alphabet song? I don't know the end of it. It's like A, B, C, D.
1: D. Guys, I just want to call out that it's Jordan's from the right now. He's very proud of himself, because he said bop, black sheep, and they're the same rhythm.
3: Wait, what's the, what's the oh, W X Y Z. and
1: Z? Now, for oh. my A B C D.
3: Okay, we. This is so bad. I hate this so much.
1: <laughs> so, why are we doing this, Russell? Okay, so the the
2: point of this uh, whole exercise was the discrepancy ABC. between what Dylan was, if confidence, and you being able to guess it. And you guys either actually guessing it, or even you know, well, Maria was very confident she would guess it. But I
4: always put all. I always go all in. Everything on red.
2: So there, there's a pretty big discrepancy when you do these kinds of studies. There's a pretty big discrepancy in how confident people are in 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 thinking that other people can guess it versus either the actual ability to guess it or or how you know, how confident other people are of guessing it. Usually people, when, they, when they're asked, how confident are you that you think you can guess this? They're like, I have no, zero. I have no idea what that person was doing. And the, so again, both the, the false consensus illusion and this illusion which is called the illusion of transparency that your own experience, right? <laughs> Dylan was humming the song, song in his head. It was so clear to him that what of what the song was that it must be clear to other people but in yeah. reality you know it's just not the case and and I bring these things I bring these both up because these illusions really primarily happen because we really only have access to our own reality right our the way that our brains are set up is that we only have access to our own reality you know that's what exactly happened with the with the tune in Dylan's head that's what happens with this idea of the false consensus bias where people are surprised at our at our at, our, at other people's actions because they don't you know they're not in, our, in accord with our own beliefs really the 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 big point that I'm trying to make with these two allusions yeah.
1: so is that you chose to talk about this in a show that we've titled the unseen universe because you're trying to make the parallel that a lot of what happens in our cognition happens behind the scenes.
2: I mean, um, I, th- it's-
3: I think he's making the point that we do not perceive anything accurately. It's it's really, an, I don't know why anyone makes a decision about anything being true. Look, I'm having like an existential crisis <laughs> and we don't need to get into that, but that's what it felt like to me.
4: Yeah, and but- it's totally helpful, I, I think, to like, What's happening in the world right now, or I mean, what's what's always has happened in the world, but people seeing the world in entirely different points of view, and and how it does seem feel impossible to see certain people's point of view. Uh, yeah. yeah,
2: that's a really, really, I, I really love that you made that that point, Maria, because th- that's actually what I wanted to bring up is that you know we, we think of these things um, as you know we we. I bring them up. It, you know, people feel silly that they have them, and they're like, "Oh, our brain is like this." You know, what we can't escape it. But actually, there, there's this concept of cognitive impenetrability. What, when, what that refers to is that illusions, um, knowledge about illusions, will reduce the effect of the illusion. <clears throat>
4: right. Excuse me. Yeah. They. Yeah. Education about. The rates of ableism, sexism, racism and the, all the experience about this helps people actually change their behavior.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- there's, there's certain things like a visual illusion that I showed y'all at the beginning. That is not a cognitively penetrable <laughs> illusion that no matter what you do, it, you're going to see that, right? Because that's baked into the hardware. But something like this, you know, like this illusion of transparency where we have these you know, illusions of of reality, and and they creep into these ways about, you know, the, the things that you're bringing up, but knowledge about them can actually reduce them. And I think what's cool is that, you know, these, what cognitive science does, right, it gives you a lens into how our brains actually work to be able to use things like empathy, Dylan. You know, absolutely, mm-hmm. we use empathy to overcome some of the issues that happen because of how our brains are wired.
4: When is somebody going to do a study of whether vision boards are scientifically effective? If I cut out a picture of a tiger and I paste it on a piece of poster board that I just bought at CVS (laughs) and I burn some sage, will I have a tiger by the end of the day?
3: By the end of the day? Oh, my gosh. That's a short timeline.
4: I mean, especially if I cut a, also cut out a picture with a clock with today's date on it. Right?
2: I, give me give me a week, and I will do the study.
1: <laughs> Russell, are you going to have to cut out a large government grant, like a picture of a large government grant, to put on your vision board <laughs> to be able to get the grant money to do that study?
2: I will also do that study. And I will do a study about doing that study. Yeah. If and you, you can
4: see it, you can be it.
1: Uh,
4: <laughs> OK. That's, I mean, it, that's that's the thing about representation, but I've of course, commandeered it for visual. <laughs> <laughs> it, it,
1: it's beautiful and you've made it work. And I think speaking oh, I'm so sorry. I'm having a vision right now about having our next guest on. Yay! I would like I'll be to welcome right to the, the technical stage or visual stage. I don't know what to call this. Our our expert on, uh, on the other part of the unseen universe, Dr. Jason
5: Rhodes. Woo! So, um, okay. Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. <laughs> you're yeah. thank for coming on our show. It's, <laughs> it's always, it always
1: tickles me pink when we get, like, world-leading expert in this field of <laughs> science is going to come on our goofy comedy at like, our comedy yak <laughs> yuck hour. So I'm very grateful you're here. Yeah, no, I'm super not excited sure I'm, about this. I'm
5: not sure I'm the world-leading expert, but I'll do my best. Of the, the five of us on this call right now, you're
1: the leading expert. That's yeah. true. Of
5: this small world, I agree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in,
5: com-
4: in comedy, it's all about intros. So You just say your biggest achievements right before you go up.
3: <laughs> yeah. And <you're> well, the-
1: <laughs> he said it for me, yeah.
3: Um, oh,
5: wait. So do you want to introduce yourself real fast, Jason?
3: Like, uh, just so people know who you are, I guess, beyond sure. what Alex just said.
5: Yeah, I'm an astrophysicist working at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in uh, Pasadena, California. And I study the, the dark side of the universe. That is the bulk of the universe that is dark matter and dark energy. And I hope to tell you a little bit about dark matter and dark energy tonight. So wild. That too. Uh, dark,
4: dark matter, that's that's what they used to call me on the sidewalk. OK. <laughs>
1: Just to get us kicked off, because I know we're going to spend a lot of this bit of the conversation asking you what dark matter and dark energy is. But first, I kind of want to get a sense of who you are, why, like, I know that awe and wonder is a big driver in why people like you do what you do. What, if you could tell us, is like one of the first times you ever felt a really serious sense of awe or wonder about the universe, about existence?
5: I, I can I can think back to, to grade school, and if people remember grade school, uh, our classrooms often had posters uh, advertising this uh, area of science or this history, and I had an occasion to go to a different grade school than mine. So I was sitting there, probably supposed to be listening to something, but I was like, hey, new posters on the wall. Oh, yeah. So I was paying attention <laughs> to, to all these new posters, and there was one of the posters that said, Uh, I think it says something like, missing 80% of the matter in the universe. And that happens to be that uh, 80% of the mass in the universe is dark matter and we can't uh, see it. And so we knew that even back in the 1980s when I was uh, about 10 years old, seeing this poster on the wall. And I thought, 80% of the entire universe is missing. I want to spend my life helping to find that." that. To me, that was mind boggling. I thought, wow. There's some. There's a. There's a career goal. Find eighty percent of the universe. That is
4: like. You didn't get in it for the money.
5: <laughs> no. I, yeah, I think you probably don't know what scientists get paid, so I don't. I <laughs> That's the best ad for those signs
3: just ever, just yeah. a, and like of all of time, because like. They were just, like, a thing that I would space out and look at to, like, not look at the clock. The notion that it just had an effect on literally any child's life is incredible. <laughs> uh,
1: one graphic designer who made that poster is sad and alone somewhere in Arizona right now. In and a it cave. Here's this. <laughs> it's just going to change the rest of his life. I touched a boy. I touched someone's life.
3: <laughs> like, <laughs>
4: oh, that's... Does, uh, JPL, like... But it's pretty cool to get on I've never been on JPL's, uh... Uh, the, the campus, it's hard to get on there, so I always think it's fancy.
5: Uh, it's pretty wild, all the stuff that's going on at JPL. Well, right now, very few people can get on JPL because we're all supposed to be at home. But every year, JPL has uh, what we call a ticket to explore over two days on a weekend, and you can go online, get a free ticket, and come to JPL and get a tour, and about 30,000 people do this uh, every year. So... Watch for watch for that next year, and uh, come visit JPL. You'll see some pretty awesome things. We send cars to Mars. We do lots of great stuff, besides dark matter and dark energy.
1: What dark?
4: kind of car are you sending to Mars? Yeah, that's been,
3: what? <laughs> Dylan, we saw it.
1: Remember, when our whole crew got to do a background tour of JPL. Oh,
4: yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. I, <laughs> I, it, okay. I remember, no, I didn't forget JPL. I remember being in mission control, and there's dudes in the computers going beep, beep, boop, boop, and it's, like, actual stuff in space. And <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, all right. Well, i, I I'm ungrateful?
1: Space, though, I, I want to focus in on why we brought Jason here in the yeah. first Yeah, all right, you, yeah. 80% <laughs> of the universe is missing, what what does that mean? That sounds like nonsense.
5: Well, uh, I have a graphic that I can talk a little bit about dark matter if you want to bring that up. Uh, and, yeah, uh, in the 1930s, uh, an astronomer named Fritz Zwicky here in Pasadena at Caltech was studying the motions of galaxies. Uh, and these are big uh, conglomerations of stars like our Milky Way galaxy. And he was looking at how these galaxies moved relative to each other And we know how things move under the force of gravity, uh, and we could tell how many stars were in a galaxy. And he figured out that these galaxies were moving as if they were heavier than just the number of stars in the galaxy. So fast forward about 30 years, and a scientist named Vera Rubin was studying individual galaxies, and she was studying uh, how galaxies rotate. And you see on your screen there a galaxy rotating. And if you look at that galaxy, there's lots of stuff, lots of stars and dust in the middle, it's bright. And as you go to the edges, it gets fainter and fainter. So we think there's less and less stuff there. And if there was less and less stuff there, the rotation uh, speed of the galaxy should go down as you go to the edge of the galaxy. And that's what I'm showing in the plot. Uh, She expected to find that the velocity of rotation as you went further from the center of the galaxy uh, was lower. But instead, she found out the further out you go in the galaxy, the rotation of the galaxy, the speed of rotation stays the same. And what that means is there's more stuff in the galaxy than what we see. And in fact, those outer edges of the galaxy, they contain stuff. And we, she called that stuff dark matter. And this was some of the first really direct evidence we had for this dark matter. And it turns out in your typical galaxy out there in the universe, most of the galaxy is this dark matter that we don't see. And it's not just uh, dust that we can't see, it doesn't interact with light. So it doesn't absorb light, it doesn't give off light, uh, and it's very, very hard to detect. So in the 50 or 60 years since uh, Vera Rubin's done her work, uh, we've gotten lots more evidence of dark matter, but we've still never been able to capture a piece of dark matter in the lab. We know it's out there because of the way galaxies and other things move because of gravity, but uh, and we know it's most of the matter in the universe, but we can't uh, we can't detect it directly.
4: So is, wait,
5: is it? Could, oh, oh, same guy, Maria, and I'll go part.
4: Is it okay? Is it a gas? Could it be a we gas? We don't
5: think it's like a, a, a gas in the sense that it doesn't interact with normal matter. Uh, it doesn't uh, interact except through gravity. So if you had uh, a cloud of dark matter coming at you. We think it would pass right through you you wouldn't even notice it oh
3: yeah because like i think like dark like the idea of capturing dark matter like dark matter is like a crafting material in kingdom hearts like that's how you make like the Ultima weapon or whatever so like and that's like a cube that you find but i don't <laughs> i don't i imagine it's not something that you could grasp in your hand or whatever it seems it just seems so mind-boggling the idea of capturing it when it seems to exist, I mean, not literally outside the realm of, like, reality, but I don't know. Does does that ever, like, stress you out? Like, uh, does it stress you
4: out? And nobody's seen it, so if you can't see something, or maybe there's another way of seeing it. Is there another way of seeing it?
5: Well, the way we uh, see it is we see its effects. We can see how the galaxies rotate. We can see how galaxies move. And in fact, if there's enough uh, dark matter at some point in space, Uh, It will warp space itself, and any galaxy or star that's behind it uh, will appear to have a different shape than it would have if the dark matter wasn't there. So in that way, dark matter can act like a lens. It can focus light uh, itself, uh, just like a a lens does. uh, And so we can see the effects of the dark matter, and we know it's there. And one of the really exciting things as a scientist is that in the time of Zwicky, and even in the time of Vera Rubin in the 1960s, Dark matter was the name they gave to that stuff there uh, that was, they said, there has to be stuff there to explain what we see. But now, when we go and make measurements in the universe, we say, we believe the dark matter is there. What should we see? And we go out and we see the evidence for the dark matter. So dark matter is no longer the explanation uh, for what we see. It's now the prediction of what we're going to see when we build a new telescope or look in a new part of the universe.
1: You're... you're oh. a- to use, you're able to add this to the equations ahead of time to say because of x we must have the outcome y, and then you get some sort of, you know, close measurement that uh, that confirms y. Is that what you're saying?
5: That's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, oh, uh,
3: there's a couple questions in the chat here. One is uh,
1: First, what, because That's one I had as well.
3: Wait. Oh, which the the happy cynic one or drummos? Which yeah. one? OK, yeah, you, can, you can repeat it.
1: Uh, okay, cool. So the question is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, like, what are, uh, what are theories as to what it could be?
5: Oh, yeah. We have lots of theories to what it could be. And we think dark matter is a particle, like atoms, uh, like normal matter. So it's got a particle nature. But it's a particle that interacts really weirdly. That is, it's a particle that only interacts through gravity. It doesn't interact through the other forces, electromagnetic force. So uh, if you had a cloud of dark matter, light would go right through it. It wouldn't uh, absorb the light. Uh, And if you had a cloud of dark matter here and a cloud of dark matter here, and they were going towards each other, they would pass right through each other. So dark matter is a weird particle that doesn't even want to interact with itself. That's so so crazy. (laughs) How how do you
2: know that? Excuse me. Um, How do you know that if dark matter is something that you can't see, you can only see it through gravity? How do you know it's not like a bunch of different things? You know, how do you know it's just one singular like dark matter is all of this stuff?
5: We don't know that it's one (laughs) singular thing, and there could be uh, a number of different pieces uh, of the dark matter puzzle uh, when we finally solve it. And I think we'll solve it uh, in my lifetime. Oh um, really? That, that I last that I last that long. But is that a uh, vision board? Yeah, <laughs> no.
4: Is it, I was gonna say like, what's your what would be your dream come true for for dark matter? Like, if you could have anything happen in the world, and you can.
5: I think it's what, probably for you, Maria, to make a dark matter vision board. No, no. But-
4: <laughs> Did but what would happen on your vision board? Like, what, uh, what would you On would my you vision
5: mean? board, I, I'm pretty lucky in the time, that I, uh, the, the time of uh, history when I get to do my research. And the reason is, there are three big telescopes planned for the coming decade that have understanding dark matter as uh, one of their primary purposes. One telescope is being built on the ground now, and it's named the Vera Rubin Observatory. Uh, so you can see that they're really focusing on, on the, one of the key dark matter people. The okay. second, uh, telescope is a European telescope, of which I'm the NASA representative to, and that's Woo. called the Euclid telescope. That's gonna be launched into space in, uh, two years. I and know then
1: finally, a cool thing, but you sound like when you say that's gonna be launched into space, it's like, we're done with this telescope. Get it,
5: <laughs> Get it off the planet. We'll launch
1: into the sun.
5: Well, it's it's the reason we launch telescopes into space is because the atmosphere makes the light and the stars twinkle. That's where we get this twinkle, twinkle little star. It's not the stars twinkling. It's the atmosphere blurring the the light. And so when we put a telescope in space, we're able to see uh, the distortions that dark matter causes in the shapes of galaxies, for instance, much better. And the third telescope. That I'm also working on is called the uh, Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope. She was uh, NASA's first chief astronomer back in the 1950s, and she pioneered the idea of putting telescopes uh, in space. And we've just recently, in the last few weeks, named this telescope that we plan to launch in 2025 after Nancy Grace Roman.
3: Oh, that's so rad.
5: Yeah. Oh, Oh, what's it going to be called? Uh, What's the name? are you allowed to the, say i don't know <laughs> the name no the name is nancy grace roman oh uh, it's like her on- whole name yeah yeah <laughs> can i ask you a question to the rest of the
1: panelists real quick how does this make y'all feel right like we're, we're talking to someone about the scope of the universe and things that like we can't see that affect the gravitational pull of galaxies like what does that do to your brain and please audience like right in too. I'm hearing small and tingly. <laughs> uh,
3: no, it's like very overwhelming. Like it's just like I don't know. My my world is like this box, this like bread box like room, rent, uh, eating. It's such it's so so small. And then I think of like you explained this to me like the scope of the universe and dark matter. And I'm just it's just like I think it does it creates that crushing feeling of not existing. Not right now. Probably later tonight. <laughs> 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 but, it, like, just, like, when you're just going to slip away. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's... Uh, which is, it It can be existential and dreadful, but also could be liberating. I don't know, depending on how you take it. But that's my answer, at least.
4: I feel so uncomfortable with this much information <laughs> that I can't really process that I just want to make jokes. And uh, I think that's inappropriate this time because this is it's just... It's a beautiful... Uh, Think to the mystery of the universe, and I'm not a spiritual person, but let's just say it's inspiring.
3: (laughs) I think being inspired isn't that, that's like the lowest level of (laughs) spirituality. (laughs) I I guess. It's like someone gives a good speech, I guess.
4: Like, that, yeah, just that, that, that there's so much. but I think that's a lot of things about the world is that we don't, are unseen and don't, like, I mean, the brain being completely dark matter that, uh, you know, is barely being explored or, uh, or your next door neighbor. Why, why don't I, I still, after three years of living here, I don't know their names. <laughs> <laughs> their names it's a mystery to me. It's almost as if they are dark matter.
1: Yeah, but the uh, way they move affects your life, too.
4: It certainly does. They <laughs> like to party, and they have a pool.
1: Oh, <laughs> they sound rad, just like Dark Matter. Um, <laughs> Jordan doesn't get to talk on this show because he's behind the scenes, but I like what he wrote. He says, it feels like knowing there are some locked rooms in your house, and you're just trying to find the key. And I find that very oh. beautiful. And oh, wow, I, that's really nice. Yeah, uh, so everybody, round of applause for Jordan. I think I want to throw that uh, throw that back to Jason and ask, when you're exploring these things, how does it make you feel? Do you feel like you're banging your head against the wall or do you feel hopeful, inspired, odd? I mean, do you feel a sense of grandeur or tininess? Like, how does it feel in your chest?
5: Uh, if I think about what I get to do uh, from my job, I feel really lucky because... One, I live in a time, and to take Jordan's analogy, I live in a time when we know that there's these locked rooms because there was a time we didn't know that there was these locked rooms and we're trying out a bunch of different keys and I get paid to, to do something that, again, when I was 10 years old, I said, oh, I wanna, I wanna do that. I wanna figure out what that is. And now my job is to try out different keys to unlock uh, the, the dark matter doors.
1: That's
2: right. So I feel really
5: it. lucky. That's my favorite
1: thing about scientists, and I use this analogy a lot, and I've used it on Russ too, and I kind of want to get you guys really quickly just talking about this, but I feel like you are all always shoving your faces into the ontology bubble, just, like, trying to get a little bit more, you know, like, what's out there, what's out there, and, like, so we've got these two people who study things that we can kind of look at. Like, you could crack a skull and look at a brain, but it doesn't mean you get what's going on.
3: It's like the worst example of how to look at a brain, but okay. <laughs> uh,
1: so, like, what does it feel like knowing there's this thing that you just like you're eager, you want to know so much about it? And Russ, this is for you too.
2: Yeah, I know, I, I, I definitely identify with with the idea, you know what one of the thing things that I th- is so cool about science is is that you know the knowledge that's created by science just helps us more understand what we don't know. Like, that is, I mean, I think if you if you ask a scientist, like, what they know, like, they can tell you much easier what they don't know. At least good, you know, good scientist and good science knows exactly the questions to ask because they know so much of what is not known and how to ask those questions. And I think that's, like, is an exhilarating, like, for me, that's, like, I love... I love being in that space and being able to ask, like, cool, interesting questions that nobody has asked before and that would hopefully give a better answer, maybe. Um, but at least you know that nobody has really, like, asked this specific question before or tried to get an answer to a specific question. Yeah.
4: Do you think with the, I'll ask uh, the scientist from the JPL what, um, do you think the discovery of dark matter will have um, benefit to humankind of society or our knowledge of it would be helpful to people? Just and that's out of curiosity. Just I mean I, I, I have no hope in humankind, but
5: <laughs> Yeah, we're all doomed. I'm so sorry. No, I I get that question uh, a a lot, and it's a a great question, you know, people can say, all right, you're intellectually curious, you're trying to understand this, but what good does it do? And the answer I give is is, uh, historically, um, a lot of what we call pure science, uh, which is what what I'm doing with dark matter with my colleagues doesn't have consequences or practical applications when you start it out. And a great example is Einstein's theory of relativity. That's our theory of gravity, how how, how gravity works. And it's uh, just over 100 years old now, and it stood the test of time. And when Einstein was figuring out his theory of gravity just over 100 years ago, he didn't have practical applications in mind. He was trying to do the mathematics that would describe how things move and interact in the universe. But now uh, we use that mathematics of general relativity to get timing of signals from satellites to our phones. This is called GPS, Global Positioning System. That timing of the signals from the satellites to our phone relies heavily on the calculations of general relativity. and. Uh, Without general relativity, it would just fail, it wouldn't work, and so that's a very practical application that we use every day, or when I used to leave the house, I don't leave the house (laughs) anymore because it's unsafe, but when I used to leave the house, I'd use GPS every day to find where I'm going, and and so it was an application that wasn't envisioned by Einstein 100 years ago. And I don't have a lot of practical ideas for what's gonna happen with dark matter in a decade or a century, but based on past experience of scientists understanding more about the universe, I can imagine that there are gonna be some practical applications that make life better or easier or more fun,
4: and I just want to acknowledge that my work has no practical application in <laughs> in real time or hundreds of years from now, for sure. I think so, it's, uh, maybe they could find like
3: a special DVD in the desert wastes of society and be like, "What is this?" <laughs>
1: it's like a VHS for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> so, I, that, I'm getting a lot of really good questions in the chat that I want to throw to, but I also know we didn't just want to talk about dark matter. Ooh. We also want to talk about dark energy. Okay, so wait, wait. To, Oh, what's up, Before doing?
3: we go to that next, before we go to switch to dark energy, this is a question that I also had that we got a Quint asked. Is it okay if we ask it before we switch to dark yeah. energy? Sure. And sure. I think it actually will transition to dark energy well. Basically, like, uh, what does uh, pop culture get wrong about dark matter? And like, how does it, con- I, I mean, I was talking about Kingdom Hearts earlier, but and, and, and like, in what way does that make it more diff- your job more difficult, Jason?
5: Well, you said that uh, in Kingdom Hearts, uh, you could make a sword out of dark matter and it's the yeah. best possible sword. Yes. And I'll tell you, if you had a sword made of dark <laughs> matter, you couldn't hold it because it would pass right through your through your hand. But I, I would say the misconceptions uh, about dark matter are not really affecting my job too much, except that w- what, I, what I see from the public a lot is people saying, oh, the scientists, they just uh, invent dark matter to make their equations work. It's not, it's not real. And my answer is, absolutely, uh, in the 1930s and the 1960s, we invented dark matter to make the equations work. But now, as I said, it's predictive. Dark matter predicts things. So it's not really just us filling in the equations, and people have this misconception about that
1: isn't that true for dark energy, too? Like, is, wasn't it a fudge factor that Einstein wrote in his equations that turned out to be true?
5: That, that's exactly right. So if we want to transition to, to dark, ma- or dark energy, we can do that. So everyone said, oh, their mind was blown when they found out that the normal stuff in the universe is only 20% of the matter in the universe. And 80% of the matter is this dark matter. Well, that's the universe that we thought we had uh, until the 1990s. And then what happened in the 1990s is some people were studying how the universe has expanded over time. And if you go to the next uh, graphic I gave you, the, the uh, expanding universe graphic. So we knew that the universe was expanding and we'd known that for a hundred years. We thought that one of, the, one of the options for how the universe might expand is it might expand like throwing up a ball and then eventually contract on itself. Because in a universe with just gravity and stuff, that is dark matter and normal stuff, the gravity is gonna pull in the matter. And so what could happen is that the universe expands and eventually contracts. It's just like this guy on the left that throws the ball up, the ball comes down. But there was another possibility. Yeah, there you go. Uh, There was a second possibility. You'll see this guy throw the ball. And he throws the ball and it goes up, 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 but slower and slower and slower and it keeps going away, the the ball. And so that was a second possibility for how an expanding universe would work. The universe is gonna expand forever, but it's gonna keep slowing down due to gravity. And so scientists were trying to distinguish between these two possibilities for an expanding universe, but instead they found something really weird. And if you do the third one, what they found is the universe would be like if you threw up a ball and it went away faster and faster and faster. So what we found is that the universe is expanding, but the expansion of the universe is getting faster and faster and faster over time. It's almost like there is some uh, mysterious force pushing the universe apart. Oh my God, that's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. And now we know that the bulk of what makes up the universe is this stuff that's pushing the universe apart. So about 75% of the universe is this stuff, And we give this stuff the name dark energy. We call it dark energy. Whatever's causing the universe to expand faster and faster. And about 20% of the universe now, as we understand it, is dark matter. And only about 5% is the normal matter. That is the stuff that makes up galaxies, stars, our planet, you, me, everything we can see and touch and feel, it's about 5% of the universe. And so- our collective minds as as cosmologists were completely blown in the 1990s when we discovered that the universe was expanding faster and faster and instead of the dominant components of the universe being dark matter we now believe it's this dark energy and i said earlier that uh we in the originally we had used the equations for dark matter as sort of a fudge factor for what we see and I would say still with dark energy, it's it's almost like a fudge factor because we're just saying we have to add this mysterious stuff to make the universe, as we see it, agree with our equations. And really, dark energy is the name we as scientists give to our ignorance of what is causing this accelerated expansion of the universe. We don't know what it is. We don't know why it exists. We don't even know very well how it affects the universe yet, uh, but we're trying to study that even though it's the bulk of the universe. So I I feel, again, really lucky to have lived uh, in a time when our understanding of what makes up the universe has undergone this really seismic shift from thinking it was matter and dark matter to thinking that, oh, those are only a tiny part. It's mostly dark energy, which we don't know about. And the dark energy to get back to things that control Uh, us that we can't see, the dark energy is really controlling what the fate of the universe is going to be. How the universe is going to expand over time uh, into the future and whether uh, our planet will remain a planet or be torn apart by dark energy some many billions of years in the future. So there's crazy things that might happen because of dark energy and we just don't know yet, but it is going to affect how the universe unfolds in the future. What a horrifying thought, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh,
3: if it energy? helps,
5: you'll be dead first. That
3: I guess that does That's help. True. I don't I don't want to be torn asunder by dark energy. <laughs> that that sounds almost worse than whatever is gonna happen to me.
4: Unless like how a did... boulder
3: crushes me or something, I guess that'd be pretty bad.
4: I d I wanna yeah, I want a sharp object that I don't see coming uh, to the head. <laughs> um what how do things get named? Like is there a reason it's just kept with I mean, not, not that it's just sort of bland, but it's sort of dark energy and dark energy. Why don't they call it Kramer's energy or ginger's matter?
5: Well, I, I was ne- I've I ne- never been a fan of either name. And if we go back to dark matter, which was named, you know, nearly uh, 100 years ago, as I told you, light doesn't interact with dark matter. And so when something's dark, uh, the wall behind me is dark because it's absorbing most of the light, But if it was made of dark matter, the light would go right through. So really, a better name for dark matter would have been clear matter because light goes right through it. It's more like glass or water. It doesn't absorb or emit uh, light. And so light would go right through it. So that would have been a a different, um, I think, better name. But I wasn't around. They didn't ask me. And then I think when uh, this accelerating expansion of the universe uh, came about in the 1990s, they said, all right, it's sort of this unseen stuff. And like with the dark matter, we'll call it dark. Uh, but it's not matter, so let's just call it energy. And so they they kind of came up with this name, dark energy, to explain it. Uh, it might be a form of energy, but it might be a property of space itself. So we didn't really have great terms, but they stuck.
4: They stuck. So me- like, yeah, yeah, invisible would be better.
5: <laughs> um, invisible would have I mean- been a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah and unless,
4: unless, oh, we're going to try to put it on, a, put a, a feeling on it of like, oh, it, I don't know, like something, it, I don't know, yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> Cynic wants, wants to call it the clear. Yeah, the clear, the clear. but,
4: no, well, but that might it's be scary for Scientology. Yeah,
1: yeah,
3: yeah the <laughs> clear. Touch yeah, I took that one. Yeah, Dark Energy and Dark Matter. It's like, I mean, it's a very cool name, like, for is sure. Cool. And it has cool. unfortunately been co-opted by, like... I mean, I wouldn't say... I mean, some nonsense sci-fi, some good sci-fi. Uh, Kingdom Hearts, I don't know what you'd call that. <laughs> but...
2: Uh, I want to ask uh, a, a clarification yeah. question about, like, percentages. So so how do you even... Ask, like, how do you get a sense of 100% of the universe, like, that is made up by 95% of this energy or in, you know, 20% of uh, like dark matter or 75% is dark energies, 20% is uh, dark matter. How do you even quantify something like that?
5: That, that is a, a great question. So how do we decide how much of each thing there is in the universe? Well, uh, we, we use a lot of different techniques. But one of the techniques that we use is what I what I'll call the growth of structures. And that sounds complicated, but what it means is very early in the universe, a few hundred thousand years after the Big Bang, which was about 14 billion years ago. The universe was very uniform. There was not very much difference between one spot and another spot in the universe, but there were small differences of about 1 part in 10,000 in the temperature of the universe. And those slightly hotter spots that were hotter by one part in 10,000, they sort of grew uh, because if there's more stuff in a place, it will attract things from around it using gravity. So where there's a little bit more stuff, more stuff tends to fall in. And so we get this process of growth of the slightly over dense areas of the universe, the slightly uh, more stuff and eventually the stuff becomes galaxies and stars and the things we see today. So we see, if we look at the universe, even if you go outside, you'll see places where there's stars and there's nothing. Uh, If you had a great telescope, you'd see places where there's galaxies and nothing. So we see these very dense places like where there's stars and galaxies and these voids where there's nothing. And so that growth of uh, a very uniform universe to a very clumpy universe was governed by a few things. One, the uh, gravity pulling things together, the matter and dark matter, and two, the uh, dark energy tending to push things apart. And we have a universe that's uh, very, what we call fine-tuned. If there was a lot more, uh, or even uh, just a bit more dark matter than there is now, the universe would have collapsed in on itself under its own gravity long ago. And if there was a little bit less dark matter and stuff in the universe, there wouldn't have been enough to attract it. We wouldn't see clumpiness, and we'd never get things like galaxies and planets forming. So we know that the universe had to have a, a certain amount of dark matter and dark energy and regular stuff, or we wouldn't see the universe as it looks today. And one of the ways we, uh, we, we look at that, we study that, is we make computer simulations of the universe. We say, okay, let's put a bunch of stuff in a a computer simulation, let it run under gravity and dark energy and see what happens. And if we get too different from our understanding of dark matter and dark energy as it is today, the simulated universe looks nothing like our current universe. Does
3: this help give rise to the idea that we're all living in a simulation? Because of like the such a delicate balance needs to exist for any of this to exist, or like, is that why people are like, No, nah, there's no way it's just random, it had to be like manufactured.
5: Yeah, I have heard that before. <laughs> people say, I'm not saying that, I believe it. But, <laughs> but, well, yeah.
4: And I was wondering, like, with your because with the dark matter and then um, um, the cognitive science of the biased uh perspective, um. Like, you know, people who don't believe in science or believe that there's a certain other laws going on instead of gravity, like uh, the baby Jesus and um, Ganesh and uh, all sorts of, I, I don't know. I don't understand religion, but you know what I'm saying? Other <laughs> things that are uh, f- f- keeping things together. Like, does will that be helpful to bringing human populations together are better to uh, understand each other you know like cognitive science that that to to better understand each other's points of view or i don't know what am i trying to say
5: i think that's Uh a question for for russell not for
4: yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) no no i think it was a question for jason
4: Oh, is that, so. <laughs> isn't that a good, yeah, because I, I think, oh, yeah, in order to, I mean, like this, get people to, you know, for funding for our government that, that you know, we'll be still doing s- scientific study and following, uh, yeah, following, I mean, clearly the one, uh, the government we have in charge doesn't so much believe in science. Um, yeah, the. It is important to like how how to get people to see the world in the in a scientific manner when they're not not seeing it.
1: I guess the question like how how do we make people care? Right? Or how how do we for, for me that, that question, I know that I'm not a scientist, but I, I do consider myself a science communicator, at least a little bit, but it's been that like how do you show people that the kinds of stuff that Jason and Russell are talking about are deeply beautiful
4: are, and
3: are yeah, real
1: and mm-hmm. real and meaningful? Which they're, they're, you have the they're point true? of a show, kind of, a- and yeah. not,
3: also
1: not <laughs> oh,
4: yeah. and also not arguing against their perspective because I I can see how people can yeah get their own biased perspective of no, what my what my learning and my perspective, whatever is true. And
1: so. The way that we try to approach it for our show, and I mean, Jason, you come at it from a different perspective, is we try to just show people how beautiful and cool this can be. And also, I mean, Jason did a fantastic job of saying, like, here's, you know, this this shit's crazy, right? That (laughs) that like 80% of the matter isn't there, and then that is only itself like 20% of what there is. But the reason we know it is because the reason we're saying we know this is because of what Fritz Wicke and Vera Rubin did measuring galaxies and seeing that it didn't confirm with what we actually saw. So then we had these uh, equations and they were predictive of things that are actually out there. So it was like based in evidence. So it's like this two-pronged attack of here's why we believe this stuff. Like this isn't just some cockamamie bullshit that we pulled out of our butts. Like we believe this for a reason. And then what like Russell Dillon and I try to do is like, and also by the way, it's really cool. It's beautiful. Oh, uh, but
4: I, and just with Russell though isn't there something in our brains that won't let us see things in a know, different way
2: so, so I actually want to ask this question on the other side of it to you Jason because you know one of the things that really you know astounds me uh you know about when, when I do research is when I come across a totally new perspective and I'm like how like how did I not know this or like how did I how could we how could I miss this like this this thing that seems so true and real, you know? And I I wonder, you know, from your perspective, right? Like, right, at some point, people didn't even fathom, you know, that that there was, that we weren't even seeing 100% of the universe. Like, is there something that switched either in you or you know about in other people who, like, who had to be convinced of this, you know, huge paradigm shift of how we think about the universe. Like, is there something special either about, I don't know, physics or your work or, or something that you've seen where able to convince other scientists or, or was there some sort of shift, you know, in having to go from not understanding that this is how the universe is to understanding how the universe is?
5: Yeah, yeah, there was. And it, for me, again, I, I got to live through a really exciting time. Like I said, when I was 10, I saw a sign in, in, a, in a school that, told me about dark matter. I said, oh, I want to study that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, 15 years later, I was going to graduate school in the, the mid-90s. Uh, to, and, and I remember writing my essays to get into graduate school. I want to study dark matter because that's most of the universe. And during the time I was in graduate school, that was the time when the dark energy was discovered. So by the time I left graduate school, uh, it turned out that the techniques that I was using to study dark matter were also techniques that could be used to study dark energy. So I went in thinking, oh, I'm going to develop myself as a dark matter researcher. And I came out as a dark energy researcher because the entire field of cosmology, the cosmologists all over the world in the course of a couple years changed their perspective based on evidence of what was the dominant component of the universe. And I have this sense that a lot of people think scientists are sort of stodgy and they don't want change and they're set in their ways and they won't won't believe you if you come with a a new theory. And that's partly true. I won't believe somebody that comes to me with a new theory that doesn't have the background or any evidence, but the entire field of cosmology over the course of uh, a few years in the 1990s said, oh, this evidence is showing us that our understanding of the constituents of the universe was incomplete. I don't like to say wrong, just very incomplete. (laughs) And there's this new constituent of the universe, which is most of it. And everyone uh, in cosmology really embraced that. And to me, that was really great to see because the science community is ready to embrace uh, new evidence and and things that even don't conform to what they thought a few years ago.
1: Don't you wish that that happened more with social things?
3: <laughs> and that's how we're going to end the show, guys. <laughs>
1: Let's bring we, it back. We are, we are coming towards the end of our show, and and this, this has all been incredible and enlightening. And I feel like we never get enough time with our science guests and our comedy guests. But for all of the people watching right now, so Maria, first, where can people find you? Also, do you have any closing thoughts?
4: Oh, I... I am grateful to have received the uh, kind and uh, thoughtful education from uh, the men here at this, uh, pr- on your program. Uh, Cause I, I, yeah, my brain feels expanded. <laughs> I understand neural pathways sometimes grow even when you're over 50. And um, I don't want them to grow slack with disuse. And uh, yeah, so, that, that was great. I'm very hopeful. I like the idea of science seeing conscious bias and that maybe it will help humankind. Um, and yeah, and dark matter. So, uh, but <laughs> that said, I'll plug my show June 27th, uh, Saturday, Saturday, 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. I'll be doing a show, uh, which is uh, available on my website, raybacker.com. We buy tickets, and it's an hour of new material. And a portion of the proceeds will go to Black Lives Matter. Uh, and that is all I have to say. But thank you so much for having me on the program. Yeah, of course.
1: Thank you for being here. This has been a dream come true, I think, for everyone on the program. We're all giant fans of yours. So. Ah,
4: nice. And I know nothing. I have no useful <laughs> place in society. I feel like that
1: all the time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> high fives. High
4: five! High
1: yeah. five! Um, Jason, where can people find your work or find more about what you've been talking about if they're eager to learn more?
5: Uh, I think they could they could Google me, and I have a, a, a website at JPL. Or if you want to uh, Google the telescopes that I was uh, talking about, the Vera Rubin Observatory, the Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope, and the Euclid Space Telescope, they can uh, find information uh, about those telescopes that are being designed, at least in part, to study dark matter and dark energy.
1: Rad? Um, That sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. Guys, please do check Jason's stuff out. Google it. So I'm Alex. With me, as always, is Russell and Dylan. We are Science the Show. Find us us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're Science the Show on all three. Uh, I know many of you donated already, which is huge. There are so many people who need donations, and it's not us. But if you happen to like the show, we do have donation links in the bottom. Even a dollar is amazing, although you do not owe us anything. We do this show because we love it. Thank, thank you guys you. so much. Uh, this is It's really an honor and a pleasure to get to bring this show to you. And we hope we will see you all at our next show. Uh, any last words, Russell or Dylan? I yeah, do I'm excited. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah, that was awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, thank Jason so much. and Maria. Yeah, Thank you for having us. Thank you guys for tuning into the show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you like the kind of stuff we have to offer, we do a live stream show once a month, and you can find any information you want about that at any of our show pages. That would be Science the Show on Facebook or Science the Show on Twitter. You can also find our website, that's sciencetheshow.com, and email us at sciencetheshow at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. you feel like helping us out a little bit. We do this show for free. There are ways that you can donate to us in the show notes. Thanks again, and we hope to see you guys at the next show.
0: Y'all know that I love CBD, and almost since day one of this podcast, I've been lucky enough to be sponsored by Mountain Maid. And while my wife and I swear by their full-spectrum CBD chewables, sometimes at the end of the day, I need just a little bit more to help me relax. So when my wife is joining me, I pull out a Mountain Maid puff, and those are awesome. But when it's just me, I, they're just a little bit more than what I'm looking for. So what do I do? I throw a couple of hits from Boston Empire into my bowl. And it's the perfect way to end the day. Boston Hempire has the finest loose leaf CBD flower and some pretty cool edibles too. So when I add it to everything I'm using from Mountain May, it is the perfect compliment. If you check out Boston Hempire using the link in my show notes or my podcast website, you will be helping out the podcast as well as getting some of the finest CBD flower on the market. So check it out today.